As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Jason Kebler, and I've got, as always, Emmanuel Myberg. Hello, good morning. How are you doing, Emmanuel? I'm good. It's kind of a cloudy day in Brooklyn, but uh, it's not that bad. Yeah, very dreary these last couple of days. Um, I don't know why, but I, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. Um, we're not going to go too, too far in depth here because I have an interview that I did with Ashley Vance, who is the author of Elon Musk's biography. Uh, that I did back in 2015 and ran on this podcast uh, three years ago to the day. Um, And what happened to Ashley after he ran that biography or published that biography is very similar to what uh, is happening now with a lot of journalists. Um, And I think it's interesting to take a look back at the uh, sort of perception of Elon Musk then as compared to the way it is now. Um, Ashley Vance's biography is really good. Uh, Emmanuel, did you read it? I have not read it, no. Yeah, I remember when it came out, it was like, it was by far the most in-depth reporting that anyone had ever done on Elon Musk or Tesla or SpaceX and at the time Solar City, uh, which is now subs- has been subsumed by Tesla. Um, and I remember I was a reporter writing a lot about SpaceX at the time and I had no luck talking to them. I had no luck talking to Elon. I had no luck talking to Tesla. Um, you know, the most we ever got was sort of invited to these press events from time to time or like an earnings call. And Ashley's book talked to like, you know, 50 or 60 or 100 different people who used to work at SpaceX, Tesla, current employees, former employees, um, talked to people who knew Elon growing up and that sort of thing and published what I thought was a very fair and uh, good biography. He also spent 30 or 40 hours with Elon himself. Uh, for this book. Um, and then I, I don't know if you're paying any attention back in 2015, but when it was published, um, you know, Elon stopped talking to him because he thought that it was unfair for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. 
and Ashley talks a little bit about that, which I thought was interesting given sort of the ongoing Twitter drama between Elon Musk and and some journalists. Um, do you think there's an easy way to like sum up what's been happening? Uh, I mean, I think you did kind of sum it up in a way, which is, I mean, the the most simplified version of it is that there are a lot of stories about Tesla specifically that are uh, negative, obviously, I would say factual, but negative. And uh, Elon Musk is taking those reports and those reporters head on on Twitter. And that involves both him arguing the facts of the stories, um, the framing of the stories. He thinks that you know, sometimes he will say that something is incorrect. Sometimes he will say that it's not generous. Um, sometimes he will straight up frame it as fake news, much like the president does uh, a lot of the time these days. And I think the other the other aspect of it is, regardless of how he is confronting these journalists, which he has every right to, um, his following is another element of it that um, is very interesting. So he, he can make a fair argument uh, to a journalist on Twitter and the, the, his, his audience will pile on um, in this really aggressive, nasty way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this quite a lot with other um personalities i guess but i think elon musk is is one of the big ones where uh people see him as his fans see him as pushing forward the uh human mission i guess of getting off of earth as well as getting off of carbon fuels um he's a futurist he has very big ideas he builds these big ideas um you know he talked about building a Hyperloop and then he started, you know, making that a reality or doing some of the testing behind it. Uh, he hates traffic in Los Angeles and he started a boring company, a tunnel, tunnel company to build tunnels under Los Angeles. And he's actually doing it, which I think is generally commendable. I think that, um, you know, we need people with big ideas and we need people who are willing to implement them. I think at the same time, there is uh, certainly no one is immune from criticism or should be immune from criticism. And I think a lot of his followers think that uh, any sort of criticism is unwarranted because it could threaten uh, this mission that he has that a lot of them have bought into. Um, and, And that was the case back in 2015 when we talked to Ashley, but not nearly... Uh, to this level. Um, Elon, you know, SpaceX was kind of fledgling at that point. It, it was doing a good job uh, taking stuff to the space station, but uh, it was a couple months before uh, SpaceX had this big uh, crash. Um, it hadn't successfully landed any of its uh, rockets yet, which obviously now the, the landings are kind of routine and it's mm-hmm. done its Falcon Heavy thing. Um, you know, Tesla was this very cool car company, but it had only sold a handful of Model S's. And now 
you know, it has the Model X as well, which is I, I've driven around in. It's a very cool car. Um, and it also has now the Model 3, which is had been announced at that point and is really the, the flashpoint that, that uh, a lot of journalists are, are talking about now. Um, because it is supposed to be this economical car, but uh, Tesla is having a lot of trouble making them, and it's also having trouble making them at this $35,000 price point. And in order to make them, uh, you know, there has been a lot of reporting suggesting that the working conditions at Tesla are not good, uh, that, you know, there are a lot of workplace injuries. Um, some of that reporting has been done by very reputable outlets. One, one of the stories was done by Reveal, which is a nonprofit, um, and Elon Musk has said, you know, all this stuff is not true. Uh, or most of it is not true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that this interview is from 2015 because I think that at, at that point, uh, coverage of Elon Musk was overwhelmingly positive and for good reason. Like you said, um, you know, especially a publication like Motherboard, uh, it's hard not to be inspired by someone who says hey we we can go to mars and hey we can have uh completely different modes of transportation that are are better for the planet and are better for people um that is all admirable stuff and i think what has happened since 2015 is um Again, to his credit, a lot of this stuff is happening. Like, he is doing it. He is following through on a lot of this stuff. But when that stuff starts happening, you know, if, if you're going to make a car company, that's going to involve a lot of labor. And then you have labor issues. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like once you get into the nitty-gritty, you're going to – it's not surprising that you would find uh, some unhappy people that are involved in the process. Yeah, and you also have things like regulations that, you know, will prevent you from doing things as fast as you want and stuff like that. And you also have people saying, hey, maybe should, shouldn't we have a discussion about this? And I think a lot of the coverage has uh, taken that, that tone. Um, and, you know, not going to lie, a lot of people like reading about Elon Musk and his companies. I like reading about Elon Musk and his companies. I like writing about them. I like hearing him talk. I like uh, seeing what they're going to do next. Uh, in a similar way to sort of Apple and Steve Jobs. And so stories about Elon Musk do well on the internet. And so there's a lot of them. Um, there's mm -hmm. been, I would say overall, the coverage of Elon Musk during the history of his career has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, people are amazed by Tesla and SpaceX. Tesla doesn't advertise at all. Um, I don't think they've ever done an advertisement and that's because they get so much. It's in part because I bet he would say it's a waste of money, but also, um, you know, the press writes about Tesla so often that everyone knows what a Tesla is. I mean, my dad doesn't follow tech news whatsoever, but he knows what a Tesla is and thinks that they're really cool. So uh, I think that Elon Musk has benefited a lot from the press, but uh, now the, the press is becoming... I wouldn't even say critical of him, but they're becoming skeptical of some of the claims, especially when you have things like a lot of, not a lot, but several, um, you know, autopilot, autopilot crashes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a very new technology. It's something that, uh, you know, autonomous cars 
stand to make the roads a lot safer, get rid of traffic, get rid of uh, parking lots. And I think that driverless cars are going to do a lot of good for society. I think that Elon Musk would probably argue that his uh, autopilot has already done a lot of good for society because he says that they're safer. Um, You know, reporters have taken issue with that uh, characterization. And I think it's a conversation worth having. You know, when are we going to turn this stuff on? I was shocked in this interview, which we'll start in a second, uh, that in 2015, Elon Musk wasn't even talking about autonomous cars like this was three years ago to the date and not only has you know the not only was autopilot announced it's been on the road for over a year well over a year now Uh, it's been turned on and you know millions of miles have been driven under autopilot so uh this technology is moving very very fast and you know i think it's natural that people are going to have questions about it yeah uh yeah so the only tweet I could find uh, from Elon Musk about Ashley Vance's book is, quote, Ashley Vance's biography is mostly correct, but also rife with errors and never independently fact-checked, despite my request that he do so. Um, there's no, yeah. So it's mostly right, but also tons of errors and and never fact-checked, which uh, I think Ashley would take, uh, would take issue with. We do talk about sort of the deal that he made with Elon Musk in terms of Elon could not uh, read the book prior to its publication, which is very standard in journalism. And uh, yeah, this is this is probably, I would say, one of the best pieces of journalism ever done on Elon Musk or on uh, Tesla, SpaceX, because it was something that took years. Uh, he talked to hundreds of people or very many people uh, who were there at the time and then published something that I thought was overall very glowing and uh you know elon found problems with it which uh, you know that's his right to do but i think when faced with tough reporting anyone is going to find issue with with how they're portrayed i think yeah um all right so here is that interview hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you very much for doing this. Congrats a lot on the book. It's incredible. Um, just finished it last night and everyone should definitely read it. Um, how did you decide to go about writing a book about Elon Musk? What? Why now? Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words. Um, I, so I work in Silicon Valley and I cover tech companies, but I tend to sort of hate consumer tech and, um, and I tend to gravitate towards companies that make things and... Uh, and I like factories, and I don't know, it's sort of a, it's probably like a weird thing to be into. But, um, I, and then I sort of ended up doing a cover story on Elon. You know, he, in 2012, he had, um, I'd always thought he was kind of like this guy that talked up a lot of stuff and was not really delivering. And um, so I hadn't paid that much attention to him. And then in 2012, SpaceX got a, um, a rocket to the space station. And then the Model S came out from Tesla. And so he'd finally, after all this time, had 
these huge hits that seemed to be working. And so I was like, okay, I'll go do a cover story on this guy. And then I went to visit the Tesla factory and the SpaceX factory. And that's when I saw the SpaceX factory. Then I was like, okay, this is what I have to do. It's in Los Angeles, you know, just a rocket factory is right in the middle of Los Angeles. Right. And this story doesn't really have an ending. I mean, there's an epilogue and things have changed. Things are changing all the time with both of these companies. Um, was that a concern when you're writing this? Like, what happens if these companies go belly up? What happens What happens if, you know, the book gets published and then something crazy happens? It's, it's very likely. You know? Yeah, especially at the beginning when I, you know, so I, I pitched it in like 2012 to the New York publishers and they were super skeptical. I mean, I think in Silicon Valley, Elon was already kind of the next Steve Jobs and everybody idolized him. Um, when I came to New York, it was totally, okay, we're either going to write about a book about these companies crashing and burning, or we're going to write a book about them being big successes and we don't know which way it's going to go. And then, you know, Elon's still doing stuff, but I thought somebody's going to do a biography about this guy. It's inevitable. And uh, I said, you know, I might as well just do it now. And then you had to just kind of pick a cutoff point for when you were going to put it out. Can you tell me about the two books that you ended up writing? There's kind of like before Elon and after Elon, you mentioned at the end of it. And it's like before Elon decided to participate and after he was kind of fully on board. Um, what did the book look like before he decided to cooperate? Yeah, I guess. So I'd gone to him and I said, I want to do a book. And he's, he was like, uh, that's very nice. I don't think I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a sense of why he didn't want to participate? I mean, he told me at the time. So he told me other people had asked him. He said, I think he said like six to eight people had asked him before and he told them no. And so he sort of felt bad about doing something with someone after he'd already said no. He said he wanted to write his own book. And then he didn't want to be seen as, like, wanting a book. He doesn't like people to think he wants the attention. Um, And so then I sold the book. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went back to him and I told him I sold the book. And uh, he thought a little bit more about it for a couple days. And I thought I had him converted. and, And then he said still no. And so then I spent 18 months basically interviewing tons of ex-Tesla employees and ex-SpaceX employees. I mean, I went into, it went from kind of, I wanted to do this fly-on-the-wall tale with his cooperation. I'm going to write it. Frank Sinatra has a cold style. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, originally it was going to be all the gory details of how Tesla and SpaceX operate from the inside, this inside look, you know. And then it went to, okay, now I'm angry reporter guy, and I'm going to go find out everything. All I mean, it was talking to some, obviously, people who like him, but tons of people who don't and all that. And then, so then when he, so that was 18 months, and then we had this negotiation after that, and he agreed to participate. And then, I mean, it was just better. You learn, like, way more about him, because he, he's, like, a good interview. He'll actually tell you answers to things. Right. And then uh, the other key thing was that he was blocking me from access to some of the veterans at SpaceX and Tesla who really knew all the good stories and, like, had deep, knowledge of the technology and people I wanted to give some ink to because they're pretty much ignored. And so getting them was one of my, that was like, made me very happy. Yeah. Right. right. Did you like wear out your LinkedIn premium account before? <laughs> I did. It's pretty funny. Cause you start, you, yeah. Cause you like, boom, you just said, for those these- who don't know, LinkedIn <laughs> premium lets you search, search for ex employees of certain companies. So yeah, it's a godsend. But then if you send out too many and you start getting these rejections, then it starts to like count against you. And <laughs> so right, you have right. to, you have to like balance. You, you try to like look at these guys' resumes and you're like, was this person talk to a reporter? And then I'm always blown away. I mean, so many people talk, more people talk to reporters than you would expect. And I always just assume being a reporter that I would never <laughs> do that. <Right. laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, Elon talks a lot. Like the fact that Elon, everyone knows what he wants to do. Everyone knows he wants to go to Mars. Everyone knows he wants to reinvent, you know, the electric car. But the great thing about this book is the fact that you get a look inside the factory because um, SpaceX and Tesla both kind of rarely tell reporters anything they don't want them to know. Um, and that's why I thought this book was so impressive. It's like, this is a look behind the curtain. And for myself as a reporter, I mean, I've tried to interview people at SpaceX time and time again and have had varying levels of success. And then it's kind of like, oh, this guy did it. Like he got behind it. And he, he has everything. Like he has all the bad stories, all the good stories, all the <laughs> triumphs and all like the the failures. And I mean, is that what you wanted the book to be? Like, this is it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I felt like I felt like there are some things out there, but I felt like no one had done a proper history of Tesla or SpaceX. And, and so that seemed like this golden opportunity. And then, you know, I, when Elon was not talking to me, I, you know, I would get some of these engineers who had been there in the early days, and they were sort of in that reminiscing mode. And it's like, man, now, okay, now I understand what was going on and why this thing was delayed and 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 engineers can be horrible interviews because sometimes they're not good storytellers but they can be awesome too because they remember every date and detail and if you keep pushing them they 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 just know this stuff so deeply that um then that becomes really fun yeah right has uh has elon read the book so you know we had a deal where um so he didn't get to read the book or give any input and then and he he was okay. to his credit he like stuck by that and then uh, the the presses sort of start printing a book I guess it's probably in China and then it has to go on a boat so it sort of starts like three weeks before it actually comes out but you have like the electronic file and so I let him at that point once the presses started I let him see the electronic Can't file stop it yeah, at that point. yeah. <laughs> and I I told him that expressly <laughs> that, right. that it couldn't be and then you know he kind of freaked out for a couple of days. Um, and then a day went by, and then he came back, and then he was like, this is pretty well done, and it's accurate. And then uh, we were still kind of talking after that. And then it's been kind of weird because now there's been this pre – people have been pulling quotes out of the book. Right. He's gotten flack for this one quote that you used that I don't remember the exact quote, but it's basically – it was a Tesla employee, right? Yeah. Alleged that you know uh, Elon's – he missed a Tesla event, and Elon said – he missed the Tesla event for the birth of his child. Yeah. And Elon got very angry at this. Yeah. I mean, the tricky thing about that quote was that it was put on like a list of quotes. And so it gets totally pulled out of sort of where it is in the book. And I mean, it's that happens to come from this period in 2008 when Tesla was just like any day could just disappear and go bankrupt and everything was going wrong. And so I don't think Elon... To be fair, Elon doesn't run around today as being like, you should miss the birth of your children. But at this period in 2008, every employee was sort of asked to kind of be at the company all the time. And, you know, it fell into there. And it's totally, I mean, I completely stand by the quote. It's just that um, when you just see it starkly in this list, it, it comes off pretty bad. Right. It does. And I was going to ask you about the quote because it comes in this period of like very hectic Tesla time. And Elon comes off as a jerk at that moment and I felt like there was enough to kind of portray that at that point in the book and you kind of get the idea that like this guy cares about his vision and nothing else like he doesn't care about your feelings at that point 
And, you know, there's a lot of people on the record saying this, and this is like an anonymous person recalling an email and like giving it to you. Was there ever any concern about using that quote? You know, I felt like one thing I was proud of with the book is that there's hardly anything anonymously sourced. There might be, I think there's like two to three quotes in the entire book that are anonymously sourced. And um, on that particular one, you know, I felt like it got to the core of how desperate the situation was and how much he asks of people. And it was 100% true and it was... And it was what it was, you know? I mean, I see what you're saying about um, the point kind of gets across. I, I guess for me, it had a lot of impact. And I mean, it's an amazing quote, an amazing story. So it, yeah, and it was just for using it. But, well, and, it, and it's, 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 Elon has the weirdest kind of empathy of anyone I've ever run across, which is that he does not have much interpersonal empathy, but he has empathy for mankind. <laughs> and right. and uh, like on this very deep, like, because people say, oh, he's not emotional. He's somewhere on the spectrum and things like that. And I, I'm not like really sure that that's true. I just think he has a completely different set of emotions than I think like the average person does. And that he, he, like um, the thought of the human species being wiped out, like, you know, gives him sleepless. This is horrible for him. It's, it's like consuming. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Elon? Because you interviewed him for over 100 hours, right? And not that, not, it, was, it was more, it was like 30 or 40. Yeah. That's still a lot of time lot. to spend yeah. with a guy who has very little free time. Yeah. And you said he did, you know, eventually open up to you. Um, how, how often were you meeting with him? What were these meetings like? Yeah, once he committed to help, out, he decided we were going to have dinner once a month and then sort of go for as long as he said I needed to. And um, and then I thought we would do one and he would end it. And then I did the second one and I thought he would end it. And to his credit, he just never did. And we did that from sort of like March through to September, I think. And then I'd been to, I'd go to the Tesla factory. I'd been to the SpaceX factory with them, um, like a hung out like a movie premiere, th- like a couple things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I mean, it was kind of fun. We would have these long conversations. He's, I feel like once he committed to do it, he was a good sport about it. He he like never once was like, I have to go. And he would answer any question I asked And he him. didn't bail out of the project. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I totally, in fact, like as time went on, the interviews got way better. At the, the first couple, it was frustrating because it was like, um, it was things I kind of heard before. I'm like, he how says m- the same things over and over yes. and in the press, at least. Because so. the, there's these stories, right? That, And I was trying to get past that. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember. It was like the third or fourth interview. It was just, I remember coming home and just being like, oh, my God, that was my, now we, we got, got somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And then then when they were coming up after that, I was like, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> right, right. Can we call up Elon right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got his email. And uh, the problem, so at, the, is, at this very moment, Elon's really upset about that quote. And right. we're... Uh, I would say our relationship is at its worst uh, <laughs> stage it's ever been at at the moment. So um, I think you could probably call Elon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm, I've been trying. Um, so I don't think that this book is going to change people's minds about him, though. Like, I feel like these stories of like, hey, he's not – I don't want to say a horrible boss, but like he is a very demanding boss and like demands a lot and he doesn't sometimes – the companies don't pay that well and your life is spacex or your life is tesla but it's all for this like amazing like goal that comes across perfectly in the book i mean it's not you have a lot more details and a lot more like granularity but there's not 
there's nothing that would change someone's mind about the guy, I don't think. Do you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are the fundamental truths. I mean, I guess some of the stuff about his childhood that um, sort of like where this comes from, you know, I had no idea about before I started doing the book. And then I was like, okay. I mean, it started to get really interesting for me then because then you're like, this is this is how this was this guy was formed a little bit and and then um and then i guess some of my i mean yeah it, it, i i totally agree with you and that but then like some of the my favorite parts of the book are just like the spacex story and this com- like for people who don't know i mean they basically start trying to send their first rocket up from an island in the middle of the pacific this teeny little it's place crazy. and you've got these like essentially college kids who uh most of them have never done anything like this before. They're just really good engineers, and and they're on this island for like two years trying to figure out how to get this rocket up, and everything possible is going wrong. And um, and then so then when you're like Elon's a hard boss, but then you see what these guys go, you're like, oh, okay, no, yeah, I, yeah, no, I like, really I get, get it. it. <laughs> <laughs> that that island sounds like a lot of fun to me for about three or four days yeah for like two years it is like the people that i interviewed from there i mean they were like bonded yeah they have like a grill and stuff i was like (laughs) oh this sounds like a great vacation in the pacific um and then it doesn't really work out for a long time a long time and then like they would sort of everything would be going right and then like like the rocket would blow up for these really dumb sort of reasons you know it would be like uh, gas like sloshing around. Yeah, and like one time a, a bolt had just kind of corroded from the salt air, but they had they had actually like tested all these bolts before, and that had like never happened. You know, in, in like forty years of marine <laughs> history, right. and then um, then then for the last launch, they're really excited to get the rocket from California to Kwajalein, this island, and they used to send it by barge, but Elon's like, okay, we got it. This is we're gonna do this launch. I'm gonna send it on a plane. And then they sort of forget that to undo the valves on the the rocket. So when the plane descends, it's it's only like an, the rocket's like an eighth of an inch thick, and so the whole thing crumples just like a, a water bottle would on the plane. I mean, it's like these are the world's best physicists, but they just kind of you know you, something you just didn't think of in that moment, and it's so tragic. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, that's my favorite part of the book as well. I mean, I'm into SpaceX. Honestly, I didn't know very much about Tesla. I knew the basics until I read the book, but I cover SpaceX all the time. This was just like a fantastic look into that. Can we talk a bit about the future of SpaceX and maybe the future of Elon's plan? That's kind of the end of your book. Um, where do you see all of this going? Well, it's pretty funny. So there's a guy, Tom Mueller, who's in the book. He essentially builds all the engines for SpaceX throughout its history. And I just ran into him like two weeks ago. I mean, he's an amazing guy. He's, you know, there would be no SpaceX, I think, without him. And, um, you know, he said they've already got the designs for the engines that would take it to Mars. I mean, he said they're like basically done. Um, They're not built, but like the plans are done. And then they've got the design for, um, because there's this Falcon Heavy, which is like the biggest rocket they have right now. But there's a bigger rocket than that that they've already designed. And then Elon's got the... um, Spacesuits. I I feel like within the next year we're going to see what SpaceX's spacesuits look like, and mm-hmm. I'm told there it does not look like your astronaut of yesteryear. He said he didn't <laughs> want them to be like marshmallow, right? Guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> and he's. I mean, everyone's like giddy about it that I've talked to, and I tried really hard to sort of get pictures of that, but I couldn't. So it's got to be pretty good. And um, yeah, I mean, 
SpaceX is actually in a pretty good spot, knock on wood, as long as nothing blows up. I mean, they're getting tons of money, regular contracts. They're getting more and more consistent at doing, like, their day-to-day business and um, have these grand plans. They've got the spaceport in Texas, you know, which will one day be where they would launch to Mars from. And, I mean, Elon says 10 years, I think, to get to Mars, you know, to do the first launch. So, naturally, that probably means, like, 15 or 16, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the space internet thing? Because that broke after the bulk of the um, reporting was done. Yeah. Um, And the space internet plan is basically Elon wants to launch an array of satellites that would be in low Earth orbit and beam the internet to anywhere on Earth from you know, one of 7,000 or like several thousand, I forget how many satellites. And when this broke, I started like kind of thinking about the implications of this. And it's like, if this works, I mean, it's not going to be for a few years, five at least, probably longer. If this works, he has the potential to undercut Comcast, to undercut AT&T and essentially offer, you know, like fiber speed internet to anyone in the world. And then SpaceX is instantly the biggest company. Pretty much. I mean... Yeah, he has these hilarious plans where, like, Tesla sells batteries for the home, which could be sort of bigger than their car business. It's like, and then SpaceX could just suddenly become, like, an internet service provider, right. and that would be their biggest moneymaker. And, and he's like... I mean, he said in an interview with me, is like, this could help pay for our trip to Mars. It's just, it's like, it's kind of nuts. I mean, the one thing I learned... There's a company, O3B, which does like a scaled down version of this today. And um, this other company, I think it's called um, OneWeb, who's trying to sort of beat Elon basically to that. They don't have a way to space yet, though. Not Yeah, so they're going to have to take somebody else's rockets or convince SpaceX to let them go. But um, but, I guess the one thing I learned is that if you're in New York, if you're in like a major city, it's it's still going to probably be – you would not buy your internet service directly from this because it's going to be too congested. But you would – the carriers would to shuffle the traffic from like New York to London. And then if you were in a, a city that's not some major metropolis, yeah, you could definitely. And so, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, SpaceX could just be this like a space ISP. It's, it's nuts. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like Elon Musk like makes money almost incidentally to. Yeah. That was the other thing. There's a quote, I think from Justine Musk, his first wife in there where she says like, we, we, he just like never worries about, I forget how she puts it. It was so well put. It, it's like, yeah, I remember that quote as well. It's it, just like he it just like follows him. Money just like falls in his lap more or less. Yeah, because he he came to the U.S. when he was seventeen with like a hundred dollars, and then nine years later he had about twenty two million after selling a couple companies, or really like two hundred million. Nine years later, then like six years after that he had none, <laughs> and then eight years after that he had twelve billion. <laughs> it's it's like I, I don't yeah I don't know. And now else. it fluctuates with the stock prices and, um, and all that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have said that Tesla is more like a battery company than a car company. Um, do you agree with that? It, it seems very much in the book like they care a lot about batteries, but they definitely come across as a very serious like car company as well. Yeah, I think people see sort of the potential of how big the battery market could get, and it's like if you're selling them for cars and now homes and businesses and everything, I think the investors get excited about that. But I mean, to me, the most exciting thing is definitely the cars and, and the battery stuff is very to be determined as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and so, you know, when he's talking about like this gigafactory that he's going to build to knock out all these batteries, I mean, originally that, I mean, it's still definitely to supply this third generation car that they're working. I mean, that's first and foremost what that's for. And so that's what I, I mean, they still have to prove that they can get that third generation car. That will be, 
I think really when we know whether Tesla's like made it or not. Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's a huge success, that's kind of like the car for everyone, even though it's like 35K, 35, yeah. which, you know, placed it solidly in like the mid-range type car. Definitely a lot more people could get it because, <laughs> the, yeah, the ones now, even though they start a little lower, it's like everyone seems to pay about 100000 Do you get the sense that he wants uh, driverless cars? I mean, he's like talked about it a bunch and Tesla has like various automated features, but do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of come on quick because he used to never talk about it. And then all of a sudden we're at this press conference one day and he's revealing like some pretty sophisticated autonomous stuff. And I live in Mountain View and I see the Google cars being tested all the time right around my house. And so I just thought Tesla was way behind and they... I don't think they can sort of do what Google can do today, or at least I've never seen any evidence of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it looks to me like, you know, Tesla fully intends on building an autonomous car and would be, like, the best company position, really, because it, it really is the best at software, and that's kind of its edge. And so tying all that together would be big for them. Right, right. Um, I know we got to go in a second, but can we very quickly talk about um, Elon's relationship with, like, Larry Page and Craig Venter and some of these, like, basically boys club of Silicon Valley, like hot shots. It yeah. seems like he's he, like crashed on Larry Page's couch and then they like spitball like crazy ideas. Yeah. They have a funny relationship. I mean, Larry. So yeah, when Elon's in Silicon Valley, which he is half a week, every week, he doesn't have a house. So he either stays at a hotel or a lot of times he just goes to all his friends' houses. And uh, that's sort of like how he keeps in touch with people and he stays with Larry. And, and, um, but then, you know, on the same, <laughs> at the same time, I mean, Elon's, thinks Larry Page, his buddy, like may well be working on the end of mankind and some evil AI. I mean, he thinks Larry has a good heart, but he's like almost too good of a heart that he's kind of naive about mm -hmm. this stuff. And so, yeah, it's like I would love to sit in on. Yeah, <laughs> what do you those? think those conversations are like? <laughs> I mean, I asked him, you get a little taste of the book, like you were saying. I mean, there's a guy I talked to who was at one of these and they're like, I would like to make a vertical takeoff electric plane. And Oh, that is a good idea, and like it should. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, so you get you get a little taste, and then I asked Larry and Elon about. It. I mean, I think they, I think it's like this sci-fi kind of brainstorming session, and then they come up with like a thousand ideas, and then take one or two of them and go try to build it, which is just nuts. Right, right. Um, do you plan on you know sticking with this, or are you like Elon out? Yeah, I'm totally torn. I mean. This last week, I've been feeling kind of Elon out, and I'm like, this is it. On the other hand, the companies are so interesting that it's like, and you've come this far, you know, I, I feel like um, it would be, I've just been battling with this inside. <laughs> I think, I think you've earned some time to think about it after, <laughs> it was like a three-year undertaking or two? Yeah, at least two and a half. Yeah, yeah verging on three, yeah. Yeah, I think you get, you know, a couple of weeks after you publish a book. It's not even out yet. I mean, by the time you listen to this, it will be out. But, we'll see if um, Elon's still, like, speaking to me in I, months I think he'll get over it. I mean, it's it's a very well-done book. And, um, you know, he probably did say that to that guy. And it's, it's one quote of many that tell a story about – it's not out of character, like, for him to say something like that. Yeah, it's, like, unfortunate – out of 120,000 words to, yeah, just focus on, like, 14. But <laughs> Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what, like, some of the early press is focused on. Yeah. I, there's a lot to dive into here. And reading this as a reporter, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to write about this and this and this and this. And I don't know, at some point I'm like, I, this is someone else's work mostly. <laughs> like, I can add some things to it. But you should all just read the book because it's great. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, we'll let you go now. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I am Jason Kebler. I'm here with Emmanuel Myberg. Um, I'm going to tell everyone now that I cut out all of the riffing before and after that interview that we did with uh, former managing editor Adrian Jeffries and Chris O'Coin, who was on the podcast back then. Um, a lot of it was like sort of timely news we were talking about, but it was also interesting to hear Adrian read a an ad for Casper mattresses <laughs> back when we had ads. Uh, we also had, uh, we were talking a lot about just like, how SpaceX was portrayed back then. And it's weird to like see a lot of that stuff actually happening now. Um, Adrian was very much team Elon at the moment. I think she said, I am team Elon. Uh, I'd be curious to hear if that's still the case. Um, but I didn't want to have her sort of her three-year-old opinions out there uh, without catching up with her. So maybe we'll have to do that soon. Cool. Yeah. Do you know what Adrian thinks about Elon these days? These days? Yeah, no, these days. No, I do not I do not know. I don't want to I don't want to guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anyways, uh, this is Radio Motherboard. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back uh, on Tuesday. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 